You're listening to the AWC City Voice Podcast, where we explore the issues that impact Washington's cities. I'm Sarah, and in sports ball terms, we're in the final inning of the 2023 legislative session. City Voice Podcast sat down again with Deputy Government Relations Director Carl Schroeder to get the latest on the array of housing bills still moving through the legislature. Carl talks House Bill 1110, Middle Housing, Senate Bill 5466, Transit-Oriented Development, House Bill 1337, and Senate Bill 5235, ADUs, and finally House Bill 1628, REIT, and shares the latest updates, amendments, and expectations for where housing is headed as the session sprints to a conclusion. Let's get into it. Thanks for being here, Carl. Yeah, of course. Happy to be here. Um, So let's jump right in. What can you tell us about the Senate's take on the middle housing bill right now? Yeah, well, that's actually good timing. You're talking to uh, today. We have uh, finally announced that we are going to move to a support position on on the middle housing bill. It has been a long uh, road to get there. As you probably are aware, we've spent, you know, all last year debating the bill and ultimately remained opposed um, and the bill did not advance. And then this summer, we spent a lot of time with our city officials to you know, work together on a proactive approach on what we would like to suggest in terms of housing policy to the state and included, uh, you know, some receptivity to zoning uh, requirements from the state to set up, you know, a minimum and to make sure that we were all doing our part from, you know, cities uh, large and small. And uh, so that was what we took into the session and worked with Representative Bateman uh, directly in hours and hours of discussions to, um, you know, fine tune what uh, ultimately is a a pretty good bill, I think, that takes steps forward, Um, will require, you know, fourplexes on um, every lot in the largest cities in the state. I think it's 16 or 17 cities that that will apply to over 75,000 in population. Uh, And then lower densities, the further down you get in terms of um, population size. Uh, and one of the key things that worked for us to um, get to that point was some creation of some alternative compliance opportunities. So cities who had already started this sort of work would get the ability to um, continue that and uh, meet a sort of substantially similar test that, um, you know, kind of was derived from a local process. Uh, and then cities who um, hadn't yet done that can still choose to apply this Um, standard to 75% of their residential lots instead of every single lot. And that was really important because, you know, we know that there are some particularities about, um, you know, infrastructure, traffic, and, you know, environmental uh, needs and that sort of thing that would make certain areas really not appropriate for uh, upzoning, like if you have all septic systems, for instance. Um, so a lot of that refinement uh, happened over time. And the last sort of step of that was in the Senate Ways and Means Committee, which moved the bill a couple of days ago. Um, to really fine-tune those population thresholds. And uh, so we're pretty happy with the process and the fact that we were able to get to a productive and collaborative outcome on that bill. There was a lot going on, um, I know, also with SB 5466, particularly the restructuring of the transit-oriented density. Um, Where is that landed? Yeah, so that's still in active negotiation. Um, it, it moved from the Senate in a very aggressive form, I think, Um the full impact that bill hadn't really um, settled out. We received some maps, for instance, from the Puget Sound Regional Council that showed the breadth of the application of this, at least in the Puget Sound region, and um, the connection to uh, 
bus rapid transit and, and funded uh, bus service um, really pushed the up zone out into a lot of areas that are really very existing low density residential neighborhoods. And the development capacity that's created in the bill is really extensive and it's using a uh, formula that is kind of not familiar with for a lot of folks called floor area ratio. And it's, it's challenging a little bit to describe, but if you had a one acre parcel at a floor area ratio of 2.5, which is what the bill requires within a quarter mile of a bus rapid transit uh, stop, you would have to allow 100,000 square feet of development capacity on that lot. Um, that's about two and a half Best Buy stores is the way that I've been uh, trying to explain it to people. They average about 40,000 square feet. Uh, so that's a lot in a, you know, if you think of a white picket fence kind of neighborhood or whatever. And um, every one of those quarter acre circles around the uh, transit stop includes 40 acres. So we're really talking about 4 million square feet of development capacity around every single uh, substantial bus stop in the state. So we think that's a little over broad. Uh, so we're really working to try to um, right size that to something that's a little bit more realistic. And frankly, we think it's probably appropriate to do this bill around light rail right now and be a little bit more um, circumspect in how we apply it out into the, the bus zones. Um, that's not where the sponsors are at. Um, the bill is in a little bit of an interesting spot because there was a um, an amendment adopted in the first House Policy Committee the first time the House saw the bill um, that applied an affordability requirement to any uh, buildings that were built within the upzoned area. Um, it's a little bit nuanced, which we appreciate, which is that affordability requirement only applies if the state upzone actually raised the, the zoning of the city. So if we'd already zoned for that, there would not be an affordability requirement. But I think this is appropriate because if the state is going to say we know uh, what's best and the local process isn't going fast enough or isn't doing enough, they need to at least ensure that there's public benefit created by that or else we can't apply it later. So once you've zoned it, you can't then come back and add new affordability requirements. So it's really critical that that piece um, be retained. Uh, unfortunately, in a sort of political environment, now the development community that was supportive of the bill when it didn't have affordability requirements are now not supportive of the bill because it does. And they say that will make it impossible for them to build. And it's very hard to evaluate that because it's a private business and they don't have to share their books and they, um, you know, would it not pencil because it just won't pencil at all or would it pencil with 10% affordability but not 20% and it's, uh, that's not really a knowable thing, unfortunately. So um, the bill is in an interesting spot. We're hoping to, that we can still uh, get it to a position that we can support because our members did in that process that I mentioned over the summer propose unlimited density around light rail. Um, with a uh, affordability requirement. So it's actually not that far off from what we were trying to accomplish, except for the breadth, um, particularly again, away from the heavy rail investments that have been made um, out into the more uh, further reaches. And that applies also in like Spokane and Vancouver and a couple of the other um, you know population centers in the state. And we don't actually even have maps from a regional perspective, at least, of the, the, where exactly that would apply. So we think that's a problem as well. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, last we heard, there were also two ADU bills that were positioned for a floor vote. Uh, what can you tell us about the status of those bills? Well, it's interesting. There uh, still are two ADU bills that are poised <laughs> for a floor vote. They're just swap chambers. So they're both still alive. Um, at this point, we're not opposing the ADU bills. We're asking that they 
um, choose the, the version and uh, that has the least um, kind of specificity on pre preemption of very specific development regulations. So House Bill 1337, in my mind, is the least preferable of the two because it gets into things like you have to allow an ABU at the back lot line unless the city plows regularly. Like, well, that seems a little over the top for the state to get into that level of detail, um, height limitations and things like that. We're comfortable with the idea of the state saying that, you know, cities need to allow accessory dwelling units to be built on residential parcels and even some restrictions around the development authority. But when you start getting into that micromanagement level, that's where we continue to have concerns. So Senate Bill 5235 is preferable because it's a little bit more broad. It just says you have to allow these things. Here's some parking restrictions based on lot size um, and, and doesn't dive that deep to the nitty gritty details, which we think is still appropriate at the local level. And the prospects for those bills are? Pretty good, I think. They're gonna choose between them, and I believe they'll melt some of these elements that we're talking about. And um, I'm not sure which vehicle will be the, the winning one. That's sort of a thing that the legislature sorts out internally, uh, who gets to have the bill with their name on it and you know credit and all that good stuff. So that's above my pay grade. <laughs> So, uh, AWC just put out its budget comparison document. Um, what can you say about where we stand on funding related to housing and what should members be aware of? Well, I would say it's, it's a really good year in the budgets for housing and homelessness. Um, obviously, as always, the state and Senate and the House take slightly different approaches. And the House is more um, weighted towards some homelessness investments that the Senate doesn't do. The Senate was... Um, really trying to hit the governor's number in terms of um, the capital budget. And uh, frankly, both budgets do a really good job on the housing needs. The challenge that we're continuing to flag and push for is on the affordable housing side, especially there is um, such a need out there. We, we know we have 500,000 homes that we're gonna need to be able to get built in the next 20 years for people to make 50% of the median income or below which is a level that the private market just cannot deliver because they need to be able to make a profit with the rents they can charge and et cetera. Um, so even really good one-time budgets are not gonna be enough to really um, over time pick away at that unless they're complemented with dedicated ongoing revenues. And what we're really pushing for is House Bill 1628, which creates a new local option real estate tax where cities would be able to assess a 0.25%, so one quarter of a percent tax on the sale of real estate to be reinvested in affordable housing. And then it also increases on the state side um, an additional 1% on only the portion of a property sale that's over $5 million, so very expensive properties. And we think that's appropriate to use um, some of the resources from a very inflamed real estate market with prices that have gone um, frankly nuts over the last 10 years to help address the affordability challenge, which we know the market won't deliver and can't deliver, it's not intended to deliver, um, but we need the resources to make sure that people who are in that income segment are not living on the streets. And it's not just people who are living on the streets, the higher end of that, that's, you know, teachers and, and such and janitors and people that have good, um, you know, middle-class jobs that are feeling really, really stretched right now on housing costs. and. You know, those of us who happen to be lucky enough to get a house at the right time, uh, you know, and then interest rates go down and you refinance. And, you know, my mortgage on a 2,500 square foot home is significantly less than rent for a, a 
uh, studio in some places. So um, that's upside down. And I have stability in my housing costs, but people who don't have the ability to own a home have no stability at all. And so it's really important to provide the resources to begin to have the scale to pack away at that problem and actually accomplish that goal. Yeah, and a lot of people in civil service fall into that category. Yeah, absolutely. So what still needs a boost? Where can members lend a helping hand with legislators? The revenue thing for sure. Um, any sort of tax is difficult at the at the state level. Um, real estate uh, taxes are hotly opposed by realtors and the development industry. Uh, so we've been circulating a sign-on letters of mayors who are supporting that bill. We've got you know really really good breadth across the state. So sharing um, that you're supportive of that to your delegation and asking them to make that a priority is is really critical and, and is um, extremely helpful at this point in the process. The other thing I would say is just the transit-oriented development bill. You really need to look at that with um, sharp eyes about what it will do in your community if it affects you and articulate that to your legislators because this, like I said, the four area ratio concept is not one that's intuitive to a lot of people. So um, sharing the breadth of the impact will be really helpful. Is there anything else you'd like members to know about what's hot in housing as the session enters this sort of last inning? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, we've hit the big ones in terms of what's hot on housing. I think on the homelessness side, maybe just take a brief detour. There's a budget item that is really important. Um, there's a funding source that funds the counties and the state to provide homeless services, which is the main one. Um, and it's called the document recording fee. And uh, as the mortgages uh, interest rates went high and a lot of real estate activities slowed down, um, there was a shortfall in that revenue. And the, both budgets uh, are trying to backfill that to make sure that we don't have immediate direct service cuts on the homelessness side, which of course would be um, really unfortunate in the face of an emergency where you can't drive around the state without seeing people living in the intersection or interchanges. Um, and we need to make sure that that backfill is fully um, uh, sized so we don't have an immediate cut in services. So that would be another one to reference to your legislators and make sure that they're advocating for that's great. Thanks for joining us, Carl, and giving us an update on housing. It's um, a really important topic and very uh, complicated, so we appreciate it. Yeah, and well, just I guess last thing I'll say is we're coming into the very end here. So to the extent you're interested in engaging on these issues and talking to your legislators, time is, is the time is now. <laughs> Literally <laughs> now when you hear this and the next three or four days after that uh, is when it will be timely. Um, should people tune into the live calls on Friday? Is that a good way for folks who maybe haven't been involved or who want to jump in on some of these last mm -hmm. last pushes to get involved that way? Yeah, there's a sign-on uh, link, I believe, in our bulletin article that goes out every week. And we do 45-minute uh, calls at 1230 on Fridays. And that would be a really good spot, especially for those of you who are intending to get engaged now because of how compelling this argument has been to uh, get all of the uh, updates and particulars uh, squared away so that you can call your legislators right after that call. Thanks, Carl. Yeah. The AWC City Voice podcast is a production of AWC, where our mission is to serve our members through advocacy, education, and services. As always, thanks for listening.